Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lean. And today we're reading I Married a Lizard Man by Regine A. Ball. This was published in 2021 and is the first book in the Prime Mating Agency series. And shout out to Natalie Procrastinate with Reading who requested that we cover this for her. Um, I hope you appreciate what we have to say, Natalie. <laughs> so this is not our usual fare. In case you can't tell from the title, I Married a Lizard Man. This is not a historical romance. It is not a historical romance. <laughs> it, is a, it is a sci-fi romance. Um, I, let's just book jacket because I... Anyway, let's just read it. Scaly, grumpy, but oh so cuddly. As a third daughter on the farming colony of Materion, Susan's future prospects aren't too promising. A pretty face, top-notch skills, and hard work mean nothing if your dowry doesn't include fertile lands. With her 25th birthday approaching and no suitors even remotely sniffing in her general direction, Susan will be forced to leave the family lands to work as an indentured servant in the capital city. Her only way out is to settle for an arranged marriage through the PMA, the prime mating agency. She just never expected to be paired to a grumpy, massive lizard man, and above all, not to grow so fond of his scales and quirky ways. With everything going on, the last thing Olix needs is a mate. Especially a squishy, scaleless off-worlder with strange ways and an obsession with farming. He is a hunter, not a dirt digger. The seer must have been mistaken when she insisted that, for the sake of the people, he take a mate from the stars. How can such a tiny thing be their salvation? And yet, his Susan's softness is disturbingly addictive while hiding a surprising resilience. With his ancestral lands on the line and the future of the clans threatened, could this wisp of a woman turn their fate around? <sighs> That's the book jacket. Uh, it's there's fine. There's Overall, tenor is right, and the characterization is right. There's no dowry in these books, so I thought it was really weird that that word was thrown into her paragraph. Yeah, I mean, basically... Okay, so science fiction romance. The world-building in this book is all tell, don't show. So basically, you are told everything that happens. Like, everything about the world. And so we are told that the... On her planet of Materion, it's matrilineal, and um, the first daughter inherits the lands. The second daughter works for the first daughter, basically, as their land agent. And then any other daughters are just, you know, useless. And there basically. is no mention of what happens to sons. I assume they marry people, but yeah, you're right, like... There are equal numbers of daughters and sons. So, anyway. Okay. Uh, let's do our random number. So, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50. And then wrote our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, we got lucky. That number is 6. 
so we didn't have to think too hard. My six-word summary is hot or not, blizzards with dreads. Yeah, so this is not the first sci-fi romance where the alien partner has animal anatomy. Yeah. There was a drawing of Olix at the back of the book, which I think we'll talk about. Offensiveness. Well, yes, but I'm going to be honest. I did appreciate having there because it was very difficult for me to imagine what he looked like from the description alone. Yeah. Um, that said, it was extremely humanoid, which I appreciated. Yes. It was also a black and white drawing, and the freakiest thing may have been the green scale, so that was not depicted. No, that's true. But, alrighty. So, my six-word summary... Matchmaking for capitalism, guaranteed or divorce. Yep. Yep. They're like, okay, we're going to match you. Oh my God. I, I feel like, I feel like we just have to go through this book because it's very short and yet it gives you a lot of fodder for discussion. Yeah. So, um, I think disclaimer here, I don't think we can talk about this without spoilers. No, there's just not enough plot. And I think too many of the thematic elements are inherently spoilery. Yeah. So I think just real quick, the spoiler-free version is there is, we're sort of in an interplanetary society that is extremely close to world society with different countries. And individuals who won't find prosperity in their given territory are welcome to use matchmaking agencies or just those looking for spouses are welcome to use matchmaking agencies. But as a third daughter, Susan doesn't have any prospects. So she goes to this matchmaking agency that is rare for being willing to work with what is effectively third world countries. Mm -hmm. And the good news is the matchmaker is a, like magical empath yeah. so, it, so you are guaranteed to end up with someone you will like yes but so susan uses the service alex uses the service susan moves to his home world and then they the home world has a conflict about food scarcity and susan yes. is tasked with both getting his people to accept her and solving the food scarcity problem yes there's the spoiler free version so if that sounds interesting to you, he doesn't have a lizard dick. He doesn't have a lizard tongue. There I you mean, go. He, he does have a lizard dick and he does have a lizard tongue, but they're Both. not as. They're very humanoid. Yes, yes, yes. Correct. Like, and he does he have a tail, but use the tail. So fuck. I feel like you could substitute a human man for those sex scenes and very little change. Very little would change. I mean, his in, the inner monologue would change. <laughs> very little about the biology would change. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Alrighty, so um, from this point forward, sorry, not sorry, spoilers abound. Yes. So the major trope is marriage of convenience, obviously. Yeah. But 
we're going to talk about this because there are a lot of problematic elements about this, about this whole book and like really the whole premise of the matchmaking. What do they call it? The prime matchmaking, the prime mating agency. There are a lot of issues with the prime mating agency. It is made very clear. I mean, it's explicit that the prime mating agency exists to somehow like level the playing field between societies yeah so this was sort of glossed over as meg said everything is tell don't show but there are quote unquote civilized planets yes and they all function in various interplanetary government organizations and all of the matchmaking agencies that are popular only function within those planets. But there are a small subset of planets that weren't supposed to be a part of the world order or the international or interplanetary order in any way. But they were somehow exposed to yes. the established planetary order through invasion or colonialism or conquering. And as such, it sort of reads like the established planetary order has begrudgingly acknowledged that now that they know this exists, they should have access to some of the negotiating powers or platforms that the established planetary order does. And so there is only one matchmaking agency that serves those planets that weren't even supposed to know the planetary order existed. Yes. Which, I, well, if you're I like, actually, that sounds problematic as fuck, you're right. I have a lot to talk about this because I think it's kind of, it's interesting as a Star Trek fan, which Lane is not. Um, anyway. Chris Pine's hot. Is that, is that a Star Trek opinion? Um, I mean, you it can be. Okay. <laughs> but I don't think it has anything to do with the Prime Directive, though. <laughs> I okay. Sorry. Uh, oh my goodness. Um okay, trope. Should I just say it? There's a white savior trope, which we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she white. She is. She's white. And she's really good at farming. Yep. And the planet she's going to is a group a population that was formerly enslaved yep who don't want to farm because that's what they had to do when they were enslaved it was not their culture they're called they don't have a culture of farming but the one time they did it was it was because they were enslaved and forced to do it yes and but they lol have the best farming resources in the galaxy Mm-hmm. And that is being exploited by a conglomerate. Correct. Okay. And who's gonna who's gonna save them from all of this? It's Susan. And I'm like, is there is there like a whiter name that could have been chosen either? Karen. I mean, I guess, but Susan is like It's up there. Yeah. Oh. Alrighty. So because I can't um write tropes without thinking to my historical romance roots. Susan is the forgotten spare. 
Yes. It's made very clear. So, but like compare her to a third or a fourth son hated by their father or rejected by their family in a romance novel. Mm-hmm. You're talking about extreme culture shock. Yes. That the way you live is so different from the way I've been raised. Think about Beauty and the Beast. Like him living in exile. Think about um, anyone who moves as not just an immigrant or like class jumps. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who moves as an immigrant, but also anyone who makes a great leap through social stratification. Um, mm-hmm. And he's basically the aristocrat who must marry to save his lands. Right. So he's a tribal leader forced to make a match he's not super keen on. And in this case, it's not a wealthy bride, but a bride who is fated to save his people through her knowledge. Mm-hmm. And in full wrap-up of the historical romance tropes, the epilogue is her giving birth. This is, this is all true. That was the least interesting part of everything we're going to talk about, so I just wanted to breeze through those. All right, so let's talk about the Prime Directive, because the Prime Directive is a huge part of this, of her world building, which she cribbed directly from Star Trek. I did look this up to be like, (laughs) well, I looked it up to be like, is, was Star Trek the originator of the Prime Directive? I, I, from what I, from my short research, yes. Star Trek is where the Prime Directive originated. And if you remember, if you know anything about Star Trek, the whole point of them is that they're they're out to explore new worlds, right? Yep. So they fly around the galaxy exploring new worlds. But the Prime Directive is if you find a civilization on those worlds that has not advanced to space flight, you are not supposed to fuck with them. Like, you don't talk to them. You don't do anything. You leave them alone. Let them develop on their own. You're not supposed to guide them. You're not supposed to help them. You're not supposed to exploit them. That's the Prime Directive. Oh, okay. Um, if you're wondering if the Prime Directive gets violated a lot, it does. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they're like, oh no, the world's going to die, so we better get down there and help them out. <laughs> they always do it altruistically, but, it, it, you know, they, they violate the Prime Directive, like, every episode. Um, and then... Uh, after the prime directive has been violated, then they have to like figure out how to deal with it, basically, right? So the prime directive exists in this world, the, the I Married a Lizardman world, but it seems like corporations or people who aren't a part of the, the as Lane said, like the ruling um, conglomerate. I'm calling it the, the interplanetary order. Yes, the interplanetary order. That's that's a book. I, that's a word I made up, though. The book yes. doesn't even get that far into world it doesn't building. Get far into it. There are places. I mean, maybe it happened before the Prime Directive came into effect, or maybe people just decided that they wanted to violate it. Um, but it seems all, like it's mostly being violated by corporate interests. Yes, there are worlds that have been violated that, that you know were invaded or were exploited, and this mating agency has as its core focus to right the wrongs of the prime directive being violated. So they're Mm -hmm. like, we're basically, we're going to fix all of the universe or the galaxy's problems through love by marrying people off. And they're marrying people 
who are genetically compatible, who are empathically compatible, but who also have some kind of skill that's going to like turn the world around. Okay. Yeah. I need to get to that point though. It's sort of implied that people have gotten divorced. Yes. So like there's a six month window for all of these matches that are made where within that time period, they can sort of get divorced and it's no harm, no foul Mm -hmm. on like the future of the species. And if you get divorced within that first six months, the prime directive mating agency or whatever will make you another match. Yes. If it's genetically and empathically compatible, I'm primarily talking about empathically. Why does anyone get divorced? I don't know. Maybe it's just not physically compatible. And that's a hilarious thought. But I'm dead serious. Like, you set up this... You literally have, like, space matchmakers who are psychic and guaranteed to be good at this. And so why would there be an out clause? I mean, maybe maybe it's just for people to feel comfortable doing it you know what i mean who knows yeah what the point is a lot of what was unsaid was more interesting than what was said yes it's true so anyway i was i was like interested in this whole idea of the prime directive because as if you're a science fiction fan you read this and you immediately know what this is right as a non-science fiction fan you're probably like what the fuck you know yeah i mean like this is all like not super well explained i think i'm following but okay yeah, I mean, for me, I was like, oh, yeah, the Prime Directive. She watches Star Trek, you know? <laughs> there are lizard men on Star Trek, too. Although I don't think... It, anyway, Kirk had to fight one once. Okay. They didn't get married. <laughs> All right, you want to check out Blood Lane? I... A lot of this is just going to cross over with the conversations we're going to need to have an offensiveness because white savior. But yeah, he, she's a virgin because on her planet, they, women being the primary inheritors in a matrilineal society, getting pregnant is a really fucking big deal. Well, and also they, they're like a religious colony. It was not delved into very deeply. No, but so basically she's a virgin, which was not weird for her society. And, but it is very weird for his. Yeah. Which, again, we'll get to an offensiveness. Mm. And also the physiology of lizard women, they don't have hymens or... And don't bleed when they, they have don't. sex, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. so... When they don't she, have periods either. Yeah. So when... She, which... Ex, please explain to me how they're physically compatible if women don't ovulate. So, so like, th- that gets into whole other issues. But when she bleeds on his their wedding night, he stops, like, mid-everything to start preserving the sheets with her blood on them. Yep. To, to make into things he will wear. Yep. And it's written as this, and she basically responds with like, I understand that came from a good place for you, so I'm just not going to respond with the fact that I think it's fucking weird. 
But I, as the reader, was like, no, that's too weird. It was really weird. I thought it was really weird. And the thing is, she was like, okay, like she's trying to be extremely accepting of his society and his culture. And she's like, okay, I guess this is fine. But then he was like kind of, she she ends up being kind of into it. Right? She ends up being like, wow, he really liked my virgin blood. Yeah, which obviously purity of women is like a really fucked up thing in our society. So the fact that they go into a society where it's like not a big deal and shockingly like purity of women isn't viewed in high regard. But the thing that he appreciates about her society is that it is, is extremely fucked up. Yeah, I agree. Like it really bothered me. Other than just the part where it was gross. Yeah. I I think that Regine Abel was coming from like a good place when she was making this character Susan. Um, because Susan really is trying to adapt to the lizard man society, right? Yeah. They both has another name. This, yes. They they both go into this arranged marriage thing very open minded. Mm-hmm. Like very. And I would say that's probably nice. the best part of the book. Honestly, is how accepting they are and how willing they are to change and learn and grow with each other. I think that's a really good part of the book. Oh, you know, so that part was okay. I, I think, I honestly don't think she set out to write a white savior story. I think she set out to write a story of people coming from different cultures and what can I contribute, you know? Oh, I remember. Um, the, like, there's this six-month deadline, like we mentioned. Yeah. And I think it would have been really easy to write this book with the drama being what they will do after six months. Right. And that is not what happens here at all. No, 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 they not both, at like, all. She doesn't think about the fact that, like, she can get out within six months after the wedding day. Right. No. Never. So I think, like, it's never going to fly. Right. Like, that, it was a, that would have been the cheap conflict here. Right. Maybe the less, less white savory conflict. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. But props to her for, not, like, for setting up this, like, easy option and then actually trying to do a character development. Um, and then is there anything else you liked about the book? It was short. I mean, yeah. I, and I well, don't, I, I, I don't mean that sarcastically. Party, but no, exactly. Um, I, she knew exactly how much conflict, how much content she had to work with. She knew exactly how much world building she actually wanted to do. And any and all, like, there are plenty of authors who would have put a lot of fucking fluff in this. Yeah. And that is not to say this book does not have sex. Like, it, it does not have meaningless scenes. Every scene does something for the plot. Whether or not yes. that thing should have happened, different question. <laughs> but I do think she had a really good sense of content and pacing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Shall we start segueing a little more into problematic parts of the book? Yeah. So one of the things that I think is just an easy criticism of sci-fi, so we'll start there, 
mm-hmm. is it's just like a recreation of the societies we live in. Like no one thinks outside the box. I shouldn't say no one, but sci-fi authors so often just like recreate the problematic society we live in, but the people look different and you take a spaceship instead of an airplane to get there. Right. And there's a lot going on here about late stage capitalism in particular. Yeah. And the concept of paying for labor that I don't think was actually all that critically thought through. Right. And like the fact that a corporation is trying to take over the planet and using like confusion about laws to exploit workers but the solution those workers find is outsourcing labor. <laughs> right? Like, That's a good, very good point. There was, there was a lot of, like, critique of financial systems that were extremely obvious that never got bought into. Right. Other than the obvious, like, don't forage goods. Like yes. this, the ca- system of capitalism as a whole and colonialism by extension is obviously presented as bad, but not, but because the forces behind them are evil, not because right. those systems are inherently oppressive in any way. Right. So, uh, okay. So basically, um, Susan is a farmer. She really likes farming. But she couldn't have any of the land or farm her land because their matrilineal society is so strict that if there are more than two girls, they deport them. Right. And by farming, (laughs) because let's let's also be clear about what farming is. Farming is using machines to farm for you. Yeah, it seems like their like technology in terms of farming was way more advanced than like modern day society. Yeah, absolutely. So she gets to this planet and she's super excited because there's all these fertile lands. But then she's shocked to find out that her new people, her new civilization, they don't like to farm. And in fact, they have this cultural barrier against it. Yes. And surprise, surprise, it turns out she obviously has done zero research on the planet where she's going. She didn't know this. In her defense, she had about 24 hours. Even so, I don't know. When I imagine, like, the society of the future, they have a computer that they can look shit up on, you know? Yeah, but she still has to pack up her whole life. I'm just saying. It's not like she had months. I it's fair. I I'm trying to set the stage. And she doesn't, under, she doesn't know that the reason, part of the reason they're so dead set against farming is, first of all, it's not in their culture. Like, they just have never farmed before. It's not a big deal. They are... Um, I, I don't know if this word is used, but it's heavily implied. They're a privilege. They are a primitive society. Yep. That does hunting and gathering, hunting, gathering, and fishing. Like that's how they survive. And trading. They don't Payment. even have money. Right. And it turns out that the only time in their society that they have ever farmed was when they were enslaved and forced to do so. Yep. So when Lane says the solution is by basically importing humans who will are willing to farm, on the one hand, like, this is problematic from a capitalism standpoint. On the other hand, I do think she was, like, trying to come up with a solution that wasn't forcing these people to do something that they were culturally against, you know? Yeah. But, one, like... They're talking about paying wages in a society that, again, doesn't even have fucking money. 
I mean, they do now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, but really. like, there's they there's do now lot. because she sold her berries. <laughs> but there's a lot of, but she sells her berries for tokens. No, no, she sells her berries for actual money. Okay. So she gives tokens with the, if you buy a certain number of berries, you get a token. You You're can right. Use that but but either, like, they, they only use money as, like, another trade good. Right. They don't actually have, like, a commerce and banking system. They do not. No, exactly. They're entirely, like, self-sufficient. Or at least that's their goal. They don't. Right. So, there, so there's two problems, which, because we're just doing this whole thing spoiler-filled, we can say now. They yes. don't use the land effectively. Yes. And the evil corporation is essentially making hunting and gathering impossible for them. Right. They're they're poisoning the lands, basically. So they can't sustain themselves in the hunter-gathering traditional ways they always have because of the interference of the evil white people. Right. Because the lizard people are black. It's pretty obvious. Um, and the, yeah. they won't farm because it is not a part of their culture and they associate it with oppression. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, because the last time we talked about Monster Romance, we had read Morning Glory Milking Farm. And we talked about, like, what what is the role? Why are people reading Monster Romance? What's the role of Monster Romance? Like, why is it so popular? And in that one, I think we came down on the idea that it is saying something about the way we're dating today. And yeah. the way, right, if you are reading a monster romance, you know immediately on the outside what his monstrousness is. Whereas if you're actually dating someone, you have to date them for a while to figure out what kind of horrible thing they are on the inside, right? <laughs> right. And in this book, the obvious metaphor is for interracial dating or interracial relationships, right? Right. So let's be clear. The lizard men are obviously black they're coded as black mm -hmm. for several reasons um i mean so they they're lizards and yet they have what she calls dreads dreadlocks yep they were once enslaved and are now hunter gatherers right and again they are perceived as primitive that is perceived as lesser and easily exploited and then um, the other clue, like one of the big clues, is that when they have children, the children will be lizard people. They will not be humans, right? Which is, it's the whole, like if you look at it, it's the whole idea of miscegenation, right? If you have yep. a child, a, a mixed race child, it's the child is not mixed race. The child is black, right? Yep. They can't pass. Um, so these are, these are the main ways I would say that they're coded as black specifically. And it's hard to read that with this plot line, which is that Susan sees the thing that's going to fix their society. Susan, this white woman is the one who knows exactly what's she knows how to sell their goods. She she is the one who saves their society. She pulls them out of like from and the again, brink like, of. They are wrong. 
for not right. adapting to the exploitation of the colonizers. Right, exactly. Like, this isn't, like, it's the people exploiting them are treated as the bad guys, but the central thesis is they must adapt. You're right that the, the achievement here is that she finds a way for them to adapt that doesn't involve them fundamentally giving up their society and the way they function, but it's still a change they have to make. Exactly. Well, and she she does figure out what the issue is with the um, the hunting and gathering, which they was not being successful because it was right. being um, sabotaged. She figures that out, but instead of just being like, "Okay, great," she figured that out. Now we can go back to our successful society of hunting and gathering. Right. And, and they've got to add on the farming. Her farming on a small scale for herself because it's what makes her happy. Yeah. Like that's not the point. But they immediately implement right. large scale farming and importing labor. And yep, it's unnecessary. Like they they are I, fundamentally I do, think changing their society. They are producing more than they need. Yep, I did think this was funny. There's this one part that I thought was a little bit funny. Is she's a farmer, right? I grew up around farmers, and if there's one thing you know about farmers, it's they work all the goddamn time first she's like oh they don't have a set they don't have a weekend so this is weird basically the lizard men the way their society functions is they have two days on one day off two days on one day off and she's like this is great i love having all these days off and i'm like that is not how a farmer like that's not how farming works you know my favorite thing is she also gets these magic seeds that effectively need no tending well, yeah, that's, I mean, the way she does farming is it's so uh, automated. Yeah. Like, she doesn't actually have to do farming. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, so, basically, in my opinion, having this kind of racial coding in your, in your monster romance, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think that it would have to have been done in a different way. And had a lot more thought go into it, right? Because she can't, she can't have written this and not known that they were being racially coded as black. They were enslaved for God's sakes, you know. Yeah, and they're being colonized, and they're being taken over by resort towns by people who don't speak their language and don't understand their culture. Like, it's it's pretty explicitly coded. They, right, that's what I'm saying. So I, I anyway. That it's not something that just snuck in there, you know? Right. But anyway. Did you want to add anything to that? I mean, I think that covers it. I... This book was this metaphor. Right. Like, that's the only thing I want. Like, I think you covered the, the dynamics totally sufficiently. But I just mm -hmm. want to make it clear, like, there's, no, there's nothing else to this book. Right. Other than them having sex and figuring out how to make her adapt to his society. Or worrying yeah. about her adapting to his society. But, like, that's it. This, this, there isn't, it's not like we can say... Yeah, we were frustrated by this coding and the way this was presented, but 
we really like the scenes between them or there was more going on in the relationship because there's not like every conflict they have, every discussion they have is either about their sex life or this. Right. Yeah. Oh, I also, I want to mention in passing, she talks about how this is a completely gender equal society. Mm-hmm. Like she says that, that's said several times. Susan is like, wow, this is so great. Everyone, it's always equitable. There are equal numbers of men and women who do this or that. All I just the chiefs are men. That, thank you. That's it. That's all. I just wanted to point out there's there's not equal numbers of chiefs and chief chief tesses. I don't know. Yep. I mean, and maybe there are female chief chiefs. Maybe maybe they are, but all the men you meet or all the chiefs you meet are men. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about sexiness. I'm just, um, monsters aren't my thing. I'm going to agree with you. I'm also, to, I want to give her props. This person felt like a lizard. Like he did feel like a lizard when she was describing him and talking about it. Like I wasn't thinking, oh, well, this person, like, like with the blue barbarians, the blue aliens. I don't think, I honestly, when I read it, I'm not thinking of alien. I'm thinking a blue man group. Yeah. But so when I read this, I never forgot for one second, right? I never forgot for one second that this was a scaly lizard that she was fucking. <laughs> but with soft scales that were more like a stimuli. And his dick had scales on it. <laughs> Which I was like, no, no. Yeah, it was no. weird. Um, I did think the like different cultural practices around sex were extremely frustrating. Yes, me too. Um, and that so like she tried to make this a sexy thing. She did. She tried hard, and some people I think might think it's sexy. Those people are not us. Is the implication there? Yes. Um, I'm really sorry if you thought this looked super sexy. Uh, I think part of the issue for me is that part of the appeal of reading a romance novel for me is that the male partner in the sex scene, he, he, like, he knows what you're going to get off, right? Right. And in this one, like, not he's not just a virgin hero who has heard stories about female orgasm right this guy is from a society that does not have foreplay foreplay does not exist it seems like the female orgasm doesn't exist well they they imply that it does exist but that they say women self-lubricate they self-lubricate and they get themselves there's there i was wondering myself there is a line about how both both partners get with get are sexually satisfied Okay. I mean, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean an orgasm, but it does to us. <laughs> yes, that's what, that's what I'm choosing to believe. <laughs> but like, they don't kiss. She teaches him how to kiss. He watches porn because he wants to know how to get her off. And Which... luckily for her, he was turned off by the. It also turns her off. 
I just find it really hard to believe that in the history of lizard society, no one's been like, I want to put my mouth on this thing. Well, yes, there's that. But then or also, I want to put my dick in this thing, meaning a mouth. Well, I, yes. I mean, for me, the thing is, if they really are in the society where they don't need any foreplay at all, I truly don't understand how he would ever, ever be into it. Yeah. You know? But maybe I'm just being close-minded. I don't know. I, it just, if I found it extremely strange for, it, it felt like the society for being so, like, n- maybe this, these two things are correlated. It was just so anti-sexual. Right. And, you know, like, I get her saying, look, I'm not, I don't self-lubricate. You're going to have to help me with that. And him being like, okay, I'll help you with that. I don't see him ever enjoying it. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't foresee a full adaptation to physical affection in a casual way. Right. Like, even Which if you come to be like, sexually, I can be into whatever my partner is into because I want this to be a thing we do together. And like, that is adaptable. This the change to being sexual as a being outside of just fucking to procreate is a total yes. mindset shift. Yes. And I mean, look, this is a romance novel. This is a sex book in some ways. Um I I feel like it would be more plausible if she was like, okay get myself a, a vibrator, get myself a lube, watch, watch some porn for on my own, and then be like, all right, come on, Olix, time to go. You know? But you that's not sexy and romantic. You can't have that in a romance novel. I get that. But I guess my question is, like, so he starts to get online to, like, find porn. How does he know that information exists? Like, his whole society yeah. doesn't seem to be into sex. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I, but he also seems like, but like he also talks about like unsheathing, like it doesn't seem like there's a benefit to being like erotically interested in something. And then he talks about how like he's getting turned on when they're hooking up. And I'm like, that's that doesn't seem to be how your physiology works. I'm just confused. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, not maybe. We were obviously thinking way too hard about textbook. We think way too hard about most things, so that makes sense. It makes total sense. It's like, of course we did. Of course we did. Alrighty. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, We hope that you will continue to rate, review, subscribe, and listen to our stuff. Um, and even you can if find we us, trash your faves, yes, yes, even if we trash your faves, which is what we do. I mean, that's just like whatever what we do, <laughs> but uh, yeah, check us out around the internet Instagram at plotress, goodreads slash plotress, WordPress. We've got a plotress WordPress site, uh, and we will talk to you next time.